We are going to look at a call that God gives to all Christians that has a tendency to make Christians feel uncomfortable. And that's because it's a call that asks us, if we are Christians, to step into a place that our culture tells us that we should not go. Just this week, I was catching up with a friend who's a pastor here in the area, in Aberdeen, in fact. And as we were talking, he reminded me of the three areas that our culture typically tells us we shouldn't go. They're the no-go areas. One is personal finances. One is politics. And the third is religion. And yet, as we read our Bibles, it's quite hard to escape from the fact that God has called every Christian to proclaim Him with both their lives and their lips. There is a quote that's quite often thrown around in church circles that is attributed to a guy named Francis of Assisi. And this guy uh, was a monk who lived in the 1200s. The quote is this, Preach the gospel, the good news about God, Use words when necessary. Now that's kind of punchy and sounds good, but the reason that it's often used in churches is because it's spoken to remind us of what we talked about last week in that our lives must point towards Christ. And that is absolutely true. However, there are two major problems with this quote. The first problem is this. If you do some digging, what you'll find is that Francis never actually said this statement. The second problem is that a Christian can actually hide behind statements like this one. What we like to do sometimes is to excuse ourselves from the responsibility that we have been entrusted with to speak out about the good news that we believe. The Christian life is not about selecting one of two options. Option one being, you know, will you be a Christian who... uh, lives the good news. You're just going to live as a good example and hope that people would understand that. Equally, it's not a call to just go and speak about the good news and never change the way that you live. God calls us, He calls every believer to both, to to words and to actions. Perhaps this is where an analogy may be helpful. Uh, Last week I told uh, some of our church that it was the anniversary of Liz, my wife and I, getting engaged. None of you were present at that engagement, but if you can imagine it with me, imagine if I tried to propose to Liz with no words. That would be rather difficult, if not impossible. Imagine if I set up the picnic like I did and and had this scenario where the sun was setting and if I didn't have a ring, like, I mean, sorry, if I had the ring and yet didn't say anything to her, in that moment... Would she know that I was actually asking her to marry me? Maybe, maybe not. Definitely wouldn't have worked well. Now also consider with me if I tried to propose without any actions. If I didn't have a ring, if we didn't have a beautiful sunset, if we didn't have the picnic, if it were just maybe walking along the road or one day driving in the car and I'm like, hey, what do you think about marrying me? Again, that probably wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have ended the same way. Actions and words are both needed. They're both important, especially in a situation like that, and equally in the Christian life. But when it comes to speaking about our faith, we can get quite uncomfortable. When we hear the call of the Bible to go and to share, to proclaim, to to make disciples, like we've been talking about these last few weeks, we feel like that's something of a burden. It can almost feel to us like something that we have to do. 
Now consider if that's how I felt when I proposed to Liz. Come back to that. Imagine if going and proposing to Liz, I was like, oh, I have to propose to Liz. I have to be married to her. That would be a horrible way to start our marriage. I didn't have to propose to Liz. I got to propose to Liz. I was nervous, yes, but I was also excited. And that's kind of a picture of how we should feel about sharing the gospel. Not that we have to share the gospel, that we get to. And that's why we laid the groundwork that we talked about in week one, where we talked about how the good news really needs to be good to us. Otherwise, we won't even want to share it. In week two, we talked about the call to live intentionally and how we need to seek to point others towards God with just the way that we're living. Another way of of talking about what we discussed last week is that as we live that way, what we're doing is actually earning a right with those around us to be heard, to share of the faith that we believe in. So with that foundation laid, we're now going to look at the call for Christians to proclaim the good news that they believe with their mouths. I am convinced that if you are a Christian, that God is inviting you to sail out into the uncomfortable waters of speaking about Him. Uncomfortable at times. If we turn to Romans chapter 10, what we're going to find there are some important words describing for us how important it is to declare the good news with our mouths. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 10 in a Bible with me. And if you're hunting for that, just know that it's about, I don't know, it's in the last tenth or so of your Bible. So Romans 10 is where I'm turning. You still have a few moments to get there. Uh, And as we turn there, what we're going to find is that there is this guy, Paul, who's writing this, this letter that is going to become scripture. God's inspiring him, knowing that it's going to become a part of the Bible. And he's talking about in this moment how he's been sharing the good news throughout the world. And yet the people, the Jews, his own people do not believe. They're trying to believe that they can earn God's approval by their actions, by obeying the law and being perfect people. And and he's saying, no, that isn't the way to be made right with God. The only way to be right with God is through Jesus. And so there's this looking back and forth and saying, you know, I wish that the Jews would believe. I wish that they would understand what salvation is and how we believe. In fact, there's a really succinct description of belief in verse 9. If you read it with me, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a beautiful little sentence that captures the truth that we aren't saved by works. We are saved by Jesus, by confessing him and believing in him. And that's good news, not just for, 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 the, for the Jews, but for everyone. And this is what he goes on and talks about. This is a good message for everyone. And, and it, you see that coming out in verse 13. In fact, if you read down there with me, it says, For everyone, you may have heard this verse before. It's a really great one. If everyone who calls, sorry, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's this emphatic statement here to say, yes, Paul's saying, I'd love for the Jews to know him, but I'm seeing lots of people who aren't Jews coming to know him. And this message that we can be saved by confessing and believing, that's for everyone. And then he goes on basically to tell us 
and remind us that as we go about our lives, this, this scripture should remind us that as we go about our lives, we should remember that every person that has breath in their lungs is a potential candidate for God's great saving work, his salvation. And this means that your neighbor, your, your classmate, your co-worker, your friend, the person who you see even working at the grocery store every time that you go in, they are a potential candidate for God's great grace. You may find that actually hard to believe when you think about some of the people you know. But this is true of everyone, even the most horrible people that you can think of. It's absolutely true. And so if you're a Christian, my question to you is, do you see the people around you as people who could receive God's love? Do you walk around with that perspective or do you just see people, as my pastor in Houston used to say, as scenery or machinery? What he meant by that is often we just see people as scenery. We kind of, they blur into the background and we don't really ever notice them, what, who they are, what they might be thinking. Uh, equally, when he talks about machinery, he often, he said that sometimes we just see people as offering a service to us. We don't consider the person who's waiting on us at a restaurant or the person who's serving us at the grocery store is a person in need of a savior. Every single person could possibly be a part of our family of faith one day. The Bible describes those of us who are Christians as being adopted. We are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And together as brothers and sisters, we share with the best of things in life. We share joy in the salvation that we have. We share a hope of living forever with Christ in a world that isn't stained by sin any longer. We share the perfect love of God. And that sounds good. Why wouldn't we want to share that? And this is where, again, perhaps it's because it just feels awkward or it doesn't feel socially acceptable. I had a story once that I went digging for this week, and it was about a, a comedian and a magician named uh, Penn Jillette. And Penn is a part of a famous show called The Penn and Teller Show. He, he lives in Vegas. He's an outspoken atheist. He's, he's very firm in his beliefs that there is no God. And yet in an interview a number of years ago, he shared a story of where a man came up to him at the end of a show. And this man, when he came up to him, he said, as he handed him a Bible, I brought, brought this for you. I wrote in the front of it and I wanted you to have this. Now, in that interview, Penn went on to talk about how impressed he was with this Christian. He was impressed with this Christian and what this Christian was trying to do. And in saying that, he said this, I'll, I'll read from him directly. He said, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means to share their faith, hoping to change someone. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe he went on and said, there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not going to eternal life or whatever. And you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Now, this is an interesting statement, but... And it's, it's from a man who doesn't believe, about, believe in God. But as I hear it, God uses this to remind me of a sober truth. And that is that I, as a Christian, have great news. 
that I am entrusted with and I have a responsibility to share. We actually see some of this responsibility coming out as we read on from that verse 13 where it tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which, by the way, is such a beautiful verse. Read on with me, though, verse 14. And it says this. I'll read 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There is a very simple chain that we see being described here for us that we need to follow. It's saying, hey, some people, a lot of people need to believe that there is a God. They need to believe that there is good news about this God. But how, here's the chain, will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear without someone speaking to them? And how will someone speak to them without being sent? And as we follow that chain, we come, it leaves us with this obvious question at the end of it of who is sent? And the answer to that is every Christian is sent, as we've been talking about these last few weeks. Remember Jesus' final words that we've talked about in Matthew 28, in verse 19, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. That is for all of us. We are given that charge, that commission. And so as we hear that and we think about that, if we are the sent ones, let's work our way back up that chain. If we work our way back up the chain that we find in Romans 10s, what we need to remember is that if you and I are a Christian, that means that we are sent with a task. And that task is to preach the good news so that as the Holy Spirit works, some may believe. And there's a word, as we think about all of this, that in particular can cause us to kind of trip up and stumble in this passage. I kind of glossed over it earlier, but it's the word preach. We think when we read that word preach in this, in this passage, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, at least most of you, I, 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 I don't have that excuse. But you're like, aren't you the pastor? Is it, doesn't that mean the leader of the church is called, he's the one who's sent to go and to share the good news? Well, actually, I don't believe that's true. This is a message for all Christians. And in fact, that word preach in verse 14 and 15 means to herald. It means to speak of divine truth, to proclaim, to urge, to tell, to warn. These are all the words that it means. And this is a call for all Christians. We are all called to herald the good news. So as we do that, as we share this good news, this mysterious and wonderful thing can actually occur, it can happen, where somebody that we are speaking to about this truth that has impacted and changed our life actually changes their beliefs and changes their lives for eternity. I mean, what an incredible privilege that God would choose to use us in this work. We should marvel at that. We should see it as a beautiful thing. In fact, I think that's why Paul quotes the Old Testament and talks about the beautiful feet of those who go and to share the good news. It's a beautiful work that we're involved in. I want you to think a moment for a moment about Christians that you know. And for the Christians that you know, maybe friends that you have that are Christians, do you know how they became a Christian? I would guess that almost all of them 
came to be Christians by somebody talking, using their words to describe for them the good news. There is such an important element of this proclaiming, this heralding, this speaking of the truth of who God is and what he has done. So it's not just that words are kind of fun. They're important. They're necessary. And God uses them in his saving work almost all the time. In fact, I can only think of one example of one friend that I know who became a Christian by reading a Bible that he found left in his parents' garage. It's a really cool story that reminds me that God can save by any means. But by and large, what he chooses to do is to call us to join him in heralding, in proclaiming, and doing a saving work. And so if you're a Christian, this leaves you with a choice. Do you take seriously the call to proclaim the, the good news? Or do you, write it off? do you write it off? Do you kind of dismiss it? What does it mean to, to take this call seriously? Maybe that's a question that you're asking. You're like, okay, I think I want to take this seriously, but how do I even do that? What does that mean? Well, to answer that, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to another passage. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter can be a little bit tricky to find because it's right up the end of the Bible and it's a little book. But as you're turning there, just know that what we're going to find here is Peter is giving some final encouragement to some Christians who are going through some tough stuff. They're, they're suffering. They're going through some hardship. And as we pick up 1 Peter 3 verse 14, it says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them as in the people who oppress you, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We're encouraged here in verse 15 to always be prepared to make a defense. If you look up that word defense in a Bible dictionary like Mounts's, it says it means to answer or to reply or to give a reason, an accounting for what it is that you believe. We Christians are called to be prepared to give a reasoned answer for our faith. This doesn't mean that you're walking around constantly with some sermon notes tucked in your back pocket that you're ready to whip out in any moment and kind of preach to somebody when they ask what you believe or about your faith. I mean, it talks about when we do this, to do it with gentleness and to do it with respect. But being ready to give an answer does mean that we're, we need to be prayerful. We need to be watchful and we need to be ready to speak when God gives us an opportunity. One of the ways that I've thought about this over the years is, is to talk about it requiring of us to live our lives looking for gospel flags. That's a statement that I borrowed from somewhere. I can't even remember where, but a gospel flag is a sign pointing to an area that the good news can do a good work. And people all the time will wave these things in front of us. For example, if you're at work one day and your coworker walks in and you can tell something's not right and you ask them what's going on and they share with you that their husband's just lost his job, that is a little flag that's waving and saying, will you step in with some hope and life and the truth of Jesus in this moment? Maybe your classmate, as you see them at school, you can tell something's up and they share with you that their parents 
are going through a divorce. Again, a gospel flag that's waving. I was thinking of different times in my life where this has happened. And one time uh, I, that came to mind was a number of years ago when I was living in Austin. I had a neighbor come to me when I was walking around the side of my house. I was late for some work that I needed to get done. I was walking around the side of my house with a whole bundle of stuff. And uh, he came up, made a beeline for me. And he came up to me and he said, hey, um, we had a, a good friendship. And he came up to me and he said, hey, I've, I've been watching you. And I've got a question that's kind of been on my mind. How do you handle things when things don't go right, when things go wrong? Like you're always working on projects and, and obviously things do go wrong. How do you handle that and, and handle that well? This was a gospel flag that was waving in front of me in this moment. And it was an inconvenient moment. By the way, that's quite normal. Often these things will wave up in front of us in a moment that is not convenient. And what was being waved in that moment was this question of would I engage or would I deflect? I mean, I could have just said to him, hey, you know what? Like I really just try and take a few breaths and I, I get on with it. But really, this was an opportunity that I'd been praying for to say, hey, you know what? Like, yeah, I, I try to keep an even kill, but the truth is I don't, but my faith plays a big part. And I got to have that day an awesome conversation with him. I think it may be helpful for you to know at this point that even as a minister, when I step into a conversation like that, that I often feel timid or even fearful. I feel sometimes unqualified to speak, but I also feel excited. Maybe you can identify with some of those feelings. If you do identify with those feelings, please know that you're not alone. In fact, I draw some consolation from the fact that one of the greatest leaders that God used in the Bible, a guy named Moses, felt unqualified to speak. He felt nervous about speaking. What we need to remember in these moments, as we feel timid, as we feel unqualified, is that it's God that does the saving work, not us. We don't need to be overly anxious about what to say. We can trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us. Even if you do walk into that conversation and you embrace it, you don't deflect it, you, you have a conversation and you feel like your words are all over the place. You mince your words totally. Don't walk away defeated. Know that God can still work. In fact, there's a story in the Bible where God speaks through a donkey. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and I and our fumblings. So in that moment, as I spoke to my neighbor, did he turn to me and say, you know what? I'd really love to be a Christian. Would you pray with me? No, we didn't have that conversation. What we need to remember is that God saves. God may choose to use us. But if someone believes or not, is not for us to decide. We are called to proclaim and then trust him with the results. There's a biblical example that's given that talks about a farmer who plants a seed and waters a seed, but what it reminds us is that the growth doesn't happen outside of God bringing the growth. And in a similar way, similar way we live our lives for the gospel. We speak the truth of the gospel to others, but it's God who changes people's hearts. As you consider all these things that we've talked about, I want to kind of close this time by asking a series of questions. One is, do you believe 
this good news that we're talking about. Are you a Christian? I've spoken predominantly to Christians, but I don't want to assume. If you're not, let that be something that you wrestle with today. Make a decision today. There's no time like the present. You can be a part of this family of faith. If you are a Christian, what do you need to hear today? What needs to perhaps change in your life? Are you living intentionally? Are you fearful of speaking about what you believe? Do you need to be praying for something in particular? Maybe there is somebody around you that you want to pray for regularly, like we talked about last week. Maybe you need to just pray for more opportunities to share about your faith. Maybe you need to pray for boldness, that when you do have an opportunity, you would speak and embrace it. Let's be prayerful. Let's be considering what it is that God wants us to to do in response to the things we've talked about today. As you consider that, and as we close, I want to paint for you one final picture. I want for you to imagine that you are on the threshold of eternity, that you are standing in the new heaven and the new earth as described in the Bible. And as you look around, everything is perfect. Everything is right. And in front of you is Jesus. You can see him. And it's just incredible. It's the best thing. It goes beyond words that you can describe. And I want you to imagine that in that moment, standing right next to you is a person that you got to talk to about the things that you believe. And God did a work in their life and changed them forever. And because of the work he did, not you, and the work that you got to share in, they are standing there with you. What an incredible thought to embrace. May our prayer, may our hope be that we get to experience that one day. Praise God that we get to join him in this incredible work that has eternal significance.